Strike Force Energy, veteran-owned, American-made, and one of the hottest new energy products on the market. Strike Force Energy was developed by veterans for one simple reason. The fight will always follow you, and it waits for no one. Buck Sexton here for Strike Force, and I invite you this summer to join us in giving back to America's troops. Over the last three years, Strike Force Energy has shipped millions of packets to our troops, both at home and abroad, and now we're bringing this battlefield-proven liquid directly to your door. Strike Force Energy liquid packs available in four flavors have zero sugar, zero calories, and are made with only the finest ingredients. For the fuel to power through your toughest fight, simply add Strike Force to 16 to 20 ounces of water, tea, lemonade, yogurt, even an ice cold beer. Go to StrikeForceEnergy.com, enter discount code BUCK at checkout, and for every packet you buy, we will donate a packet to military members around the globe. StrikeForceEnergy.com, discount code BUCK, because Strike Force Energy is the fuel for the fight. You are entering the Freedom Hut. The media is in the midst of a tsunami on ignorance when it comes to plastic guns. We will discuss that and also the latest on the Immigrations and Customs Enforcement debate. Should ICE be abolished? Of course not. But there's a lot more to the story than just that. And the Mueller probe is looking like it's going to be winding down. Or is it? We got that and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. The democratization of guns online, giving people the ability to 3D print their own guns, would make it feasible for felons, minors, mentally ill to have access to firearms. This is about weapons of war being made in people's living rooms and in the living rooms of foreign terrorists abroad. People who want to have these guns uh, will be able to get past security, whether it's airport security, so the risk of a hijacked plane goes up, uh, political events where there's frequently uh, uh, security. Uh, you'd be able to slip past um, uh, with a gun and perhaps assassinate a public public figure. Uh, terrorists will want them. Uh, criminals will want them. Coming to a theater near you, coming to a school near you, coming to a sports stadium, these ghost guns are the new wave of American gun violence. You will see them around our streets, in our airports, our train stations. They are undetectable, untraceable. Forget about the TSA guarding the plane that you board. Welcome to the Buck Saxon Show. Oh my, it is, it is rare that we can start off the show with so much wrong in such a short period of time. Uh, and we, we had all these different, all these different Democrats say, I, I didn't think this was going to be such a big deal. People have known about this for a while. There's been a court case stretching back a long time. And uh, you've got this is not a new issue. We covered 3D gun printing on real news on the Blaze TV. I want to say in 2012. So six years ago, I mean, this is not new, folks. This is nothing new and different. It's just the court case about this and the possibility 
of this information getting out there now. And oh my gosh, they're downloading these schematics. I would like to see one of these journalists who is complete, or they're completely apoplectic about this right now. I mean, they'll forget about it in a day. You know, there'll be a Stormy Daniels interview. They'll focus on that. Uh, I, I would want to know how well they think they do if they tried to 3D print an AR-15. I, I keep saying this. There, there are a thousand people who have downloaded how to 3D print an AR-15. You can read the studies of this. And those of you who have, who have and I know a lot of people listening to the show, not only have extensive background in, uh, in firearms themselves, but you know, are, are, are true experts in shooting and tactics and the manufacture of firearms. And, and I, I am none of those things. But unlike a lot of journalists out there, I've actually trained with weapons, lots of different weapons, fired all kinds of guns. I mean, gosh, I've fired... You know, everything from a pistol up to a uh, you know squad automatic weapon, 40, uh, 40 Mike Mike uh, grenade launcher, you know all, all kinds of fun stuff. Um, and you know I sit around here, and there's somebody like Buck. Why didn't you get up on the two forty Golf? I also got up on the two forty Golf once. Don't worry, that happened too. Um, so, you know, I, I sit here and I think to myself. What are they? Re- what what is the point they're trying to make? And I I think that there's a lot there's a lot going on here about why they're so upset, because when you look at the individual arguments, they don't make any sense. First of all, you've seen a lot of people be clowning themselves today, and when I say people, I don't just mean random strangers. I mean members of Congress, people who are supposed to know the law, know about the law, right? If you're writing the laws and you're talking about the laws, hopefully you understand what you're talking about. But a lot of them don't really. You get a lot of people out there running around and certainly journalists. Oh, my gosh. When when journalists come to guns, all of a sudden it's like, I just like I don't understand why people need to have like automatic bazooka semi-auto silencers when like all you really need is like what Elmer Fudd has, like the shotgun that you can get Bugs Bunny with. Like that's all you need. Like they it's it's because it's a cultural thing. You know, I, I grew up as a young kid. I grew up, you know, my dad would take me target shooting when I was a kid. I mean, this is just and for so many people. You know, I think I've even posted photos. I think I'm like 10 or 11 years old, you know, holding up my little target. I mean, this is just some of us grow up with this. And, and for other people, just guns are icky. And I just they don't go with my shoes. I hate them. You know, they don't like guns because guns are a cultural marker. Once you start to see the whole firearms debate as and the Second Amendment, all of that as just a a proxy fight for all of the cultural stuff that's attached to it. Then it starts to make more sense. How can people that know nothing about guns be so opposed to guns? How can people who live in areas where guns are already effectively banned hate guns so much and hate lawful gun owners that don't live in areas where guns are banned? Uh, you know, you, you get people in like Chicago where you basically can't have a gun. I mean, there's some hoops. Or I'll, I'll say New York. That's better because I actually know the laws in New York well. In New York City, you basically can't have a handgun. And you have all these people that I know in New York who live in a place where you really can't legally have a hand. I mean, you can get a premise permit. It takes five months and $500, and it has to have a trigger guard. And it, the rules are absurd. I mean, if somebody breaks into your home in New York and you happen to have a premise permit for a firearm, your most effective self-defense tactic is going to be throwing... The safe, you have to keep both the gun and the ammunition in separately and locked, mind you, at that burglar. So hopefully you've got an arm like Nolan Ryan or else you're in some trouble. 
But I know all these people in New York, and they they don't know the first thing about guns. You know, they really are, they're just terrified about the scary-looking chainsaw bayonets that they've seen. And they don't want to get chopped up by the little chainsaw bayonet. And so they want people to ban all firearms, or, or as many firearms as possible. You feed yourself, well, they already live in a place where you really can't have guns, and there's still gun violence, or there's still shootings, although not very many in New York. A lot more in Chicago and other places per capita. And they never think that this is an issue where they have to educate themselves. And that's what I find so fascinating. And you see this once again with the plastic gun debate. It's just about taking the side that you think your tribe, that your side is on. It doesn't matter how embarrassing your lack of knowledge may be. It doesn't matter how incredibly... um, Ignorant, you you know, the left is on any one subject. It's just, I hate guns. We must ban guns. I mean, that's the approach. And you see this with the, with the plastic gun debate. I mean, he, here's what they what they don't know and what we should all know as we talk about this. Because this has now become, by the way, and I, some of you are going to point out, you know, Buck, the president tweeted out. Yeah, the president tweeted out that he'll look into this. Seems strange to him. I think when the president gets a little more, I don't, I don't think he's been paying very close attention to this. And that's okay. Because it's not that important. But when you look at this, a few things. First of all, it has been legal from the earliest days of this country to build your own firearm. You can, in fact, do that. You are allowed to build a gun. You're not allowed to sell a gun, but you can build a gun. That's right. And a lot of drones like, oh, my gosh, you can build a gun? Like, how? Like, does Michael Kors make guns? Like, I don't understand. Like, you know, they seem to think that there's a way that or that, that there's no way that somebody could come up with building a gun on their own. And people have been doing this for a long time. In fact, I saw a fascinating video to get, uh, today of a guy who uh, built a lower receiver for an AR with uh, old aluminum cans that he smelted down. It's a pretty, pretty cool video, actually. It's like, wow, this guy's got skills. You can build your own firearm. You can do that. Uh, the lower receiver, as you all know, is the part of it that is considered a gun by the ATF. Everything else is cosmetic and an accessory. Uh, or, or or an accessory, rather. Uh, it's not, but the, the lower receiver is the gun. That's the gun gun, right? That's the part of it that has a serial number. And, and up until this point, you know, th- there's been all this debate and discussion about well, what happens when you start having people in 3D print plastic guns. First of all, I've never even seen a 3D printer, okay? They're very expensive and pretty unwieldy, and not a lot of people have them. So this is not in common usage yet, and everyone needs to just calm down about that. But you can make, and I think it's called the, uh, oh, I forget, there was a name of one, that they, I wanted to say the Equalizer, but that sounds like a show with, is that with like Telly Savalas or something? Who's in the, producer Mike, who's the Equalizer? Isn't there? Well, there's a movie out now, uh, Denzel Washington. Oh, it's Denzel Washington? I thought it was like an old show, but did they, maybe they remade it as a movie? I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't watch enough cop shows. Uh, okay, so anyway, the equal. What's the name of the gun that the guy made? You know, the one who's at the center of this, the uh, libertarian, quasi anarchist guy who, uh, you know, he, he made a. There's one prototype of a, and it's We're like this, Cody Wilson, right? Yeah, Cody Wilson. Yeah. Well, what's the name of the gun? The, the gun that he made? I want. It's like the Defender or something, but I forget what it's called. But you know, it's this very rudimentary plastic handgun that you can make, and it's big, it's bulky, and let me tell you, most plastic guns that have been made via 3D printers uh, have at least a substantial risk of blowing up in your hand. The moment that you're introducing, 
Is it called The Defender? Uh, the Liberator. Ah, The Liberator. I was close. The Liberator. That's right. So, but, but, but the moment that you're introducing gunpowder into something that's entirely plastic, you know, good luck. Uh, now, there's so many different layers of this. I mean, the first layer is just 300 million guns already in circulation in the country. A lot of ways to get guns that are a lot easier than 3D printing them already. Liberals one day will tell us it's easier to get a gun than it is to buy a stick of gum. Like, it's so easy. And then, you know, the next day we're being told, oh, my gosh, everyone's just going to 3D print them now because it's like all the gun restrictions. Well, which is it? Which is it? Is it hard to get a gun? Is it too easy to get a gun? Uh, you know, they've, they've said it's too easy. And now they're saying, well, it must be kind of hard because everyone's going to buy super expensive printers and build really crappy firearms on their own when they could just go buy a like really excellent Glock for three, 400 bucks, you know, something like that. And some of you are like, buck, it's more like six or 700. Yeah. It depends where you are. And you know, is it used? And are we talking to 19 to 26? You know, what are we, what are we working with here? But the plastic gun terror is not something that we need to be nearly as worked up on just based on the technology where it is so far, just based on, on what you're really able to do. As I said, no one's going to be able to build an AR 15. I think that is, that is successful uh, from scratch using this. Now, can people build a lower receiver that will go into an AR? Yeah, I don't think it's going to be a very good one. But I'd also note that it's illegal for anyone to have a gun that they build themselves if they're a prohibited possessor. So the same laws are all in place. So now it's just a question of if somebody is legally able to have the metal version of a gun, they could theoretically plastic print a, a crappier version of the gun, but maybe they want it for collectible purposes or something else. And the liberal response to this right now, and the gun control response, is, well, we want to, to ban the information that allows you to do this, which creates a whole other issue. Not just content to chip away at the Second Amendment, Liberals now, because they hate guns so much, are willing to create a massive loophole in the First Amendment, it seems. And we will get into it. We, we have more of this. Whatever happened to liberals and, and the First Amendment? I thought free speech was, oh, that's right. Not only do they not want it on college campuses and safe spaces and deplatforming and all the rest, now they're worried about information about how to build a gun, which a lot of you are like, fuck, I know how to build a gun. Well, I had, a, I had a, a listener years ago, he, he had an FFL. I mean, he was a professional, but, you know, he... He's like, I want to send Glenn a custom-built AR-15 that fits into a briefcase. And we're, I was like, well, you know, like, I, I, I don't know. I figured maybe, maybe he was, you know, and Glenn, I saw him one day on air, like, assembling it. I'm like, oh, I guess the custom-built AR got through, you know. You got a lot of gun experts in this audience. Uh, but this plastic gun thing, man, they're, they're just, they're terrified of... Of weapons. Hey, look, I'll walk through some of how, yeah, okay, the metal issue. Is there metal on these? We're metal detectors and everything else. So we'll talk metal detectors. We'll talk First Amendment. There's some additional layers of this that I think need, because you're going to hear a lot about this now. This has become a thing. Because the media is freaked out about it, it's now a thing. We'll discuss. Uh, and it's also a lot more interesting than Manafort's taxes, which they're all obsessed with now. So Manafort's a tax cheat, allegedly. Okay. So are a lot of people. We'll get to some of that. Uh, 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. Can I hear from all my gunsmiths out there? Have you got thoughts on this whole 3D printing thing? Have you have you ever fired a plastic 3D printed gun? I'd be very curious to hear from you. I'm guessing it's probably a crappy experience, but maybe it's fun. I don't know. 
Uh, I wouldn't do it. If someone handed me the the Liberator and said, Buck, fire this, I wouldn't do it. It's not worth it. I don't want to get a shard of hard plastic in my eye. Of course, I'd be shooting with iPro, but that's a whole other thing. All right, team, 844-900-2825. We will be right back. We now live in a world where a 3D printer cartridge has become as deadly as a gun cartridge. And that's because these downloadable firearms are available even to those who could not pass a background check. It's the ultimate gun loophole. Why buy them if you can print them at home instead? Why why buy them when you can get a cartridge? That, that guy's got to be, where's he from, up in, up in Mass? Is that where he's from, where I went to college, up in Massachusetts? Cartridge. Uh, that was, I don't know, one of the, some member of Congress, I forget which one, he's talking about this. I'll, I'll, oh, Senator, oh, Senator Markey. Is he from, where's he from? No, he can't be, why is he saying Cartridge? Is he from the Northeast? He's from Massachusetts. Oh, he is, yeah, he's got to be from, well, the only people say Cartridge are from Massachusetts. All right, that's what I thought. All my people in Boston say, hey What's up, everybody up there? Uh, so... Back to, uh, oh, wait, we got a caller who wants to talk about this before we go to the break. Jody in Salt Lake, hello. Hey, Buck, OSS. Hey, Long what's up, Jody? No talk. Um, so not only do we have First Amendment implications, but I thought this, um, this uh, settlement, I guess, is what you would call it, between Cody Wilson and the DOJ through uh, uh, Defense Distributed, his company, I thought part of it was that an AR-15 was no longer designated as a military-style gun or an assault gun, but that it was a sporting gun by definition in this settlement. And if I'm wrong, please correct me, but I thought that was part of it. So I don't know. I'll have I'll, I'll hand that off to Keith. Yeah, jo- uh, Jody. I'll hand that off to producer Mike. I actually don't know off the top of my head if that's in any way involved in this. I do know that one of the fixes that they came up with for the Liberator was that you had to put a metal piece in it so that you know because this is one of the problems. Everyone's saying, "Oh, now there'll be you'll be able to sneak these onto planes and get through metal detectors with them." Uh, a few things about that. Uh, one is is ammunition is still. Metal, generally. I, I've yet to find anybody who can come up with a plastic, a fully plastic cartridge and uh, and bullet, right? So I, I don't think that's... Uh, I, I don't, I, it's not as easy as just, well, I'm just going to have a plastic gun and metal bullets, and it's not going to be... You know, you can have, maybe have a piece of plastic that has no bullets in it. That's one part of it. It's also bulky, because to have the... To be able to handle the... You know, for the plastic gun not to absolutely blow up in your hands, it's got to be a pretty big piece. It's not like this is small. Uh, so it's not easy. To, it's not as easy to conceal, at least not yet. Now, the technology, Jody, may advance and get better, and we may get to a point where the, the plastics and the polymers are so strong that this is not really an issue. But then we get to the whole notion of, well, you're going to ban the information? What is what is that going to do? It's already out there, right? Now you're just, anyway, well, let's, Jody, thank you for calling in OSS squad. We're, we're going to deal with this part of this, the, the First Amendment implications of this. But, folks, this is getting bigger with every passing hour here. Today, they've decided to make this, I think abolish ICE, they realize, was a loser of an issue for them. So they're now trying to get the left-wing base fired up over the ban on plastic guns and and 3D printing of plastic guns. Let's talk about the First Amendment implications, and uh, then we got a whole lot more, so stay with me.
Rockies holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. I don't know what liberals really still will defend at this point other than illegal immigrants, abortion, identity politics, class warfare. You know, what what really gets what can you count on? What will liberals say? Even if I don't like it, I'll defend it because I understand the underlying principle. The First Amendment doesn't fall into that category anymore. It just doesn't. They believe in deplatforming, which is just a dressed up way of saying preventing people from being able to speak in places where they're invited guests, but they don't like the ideas. You know, I, I heard this. I, I saw this link of a of a Professor Jordan Peterson from Toronto. I saw this link of a speech that he gave. It was a speech from a while ago. I mean, Professor Peterson's a very thoughtful, interesting guy. I would note that we had him as a guest on the Buck Saxon show before, like anybody even knew who he was. And now he's, you know, of course, gotten huge and he's all over the country, all over the world. And congrats to him for for doing the work to get there. Uh, but I saw this speech he gave a while ago, and and I was because this is what I do. I'll, I'll tell you one of the things that I like on the weekends. Maybe this is my way of nerding out when I'm not reading history books. And my Cortez history book is going very well, by the way. I'm really enjoying that. But I I listen to speeches given by uh, academics, thinkers, people that are people that I respect, or even sometimes opposite people that I disagree with, but want to hear their arguments so that I can slice and dice those arguments when I come on radio later. So I, I like to listen to speeches as I'm doing things around the house, and I was unpacking this weekend uh, for my move down to D.C., because I'm now a full-time Swamp resident, folks. I know. Crazy. Uh, and I was listening to Peterson, and there was this noise that I kept hearing, and I thought, oh, man, it, you know, this, what's this, this bad audio quality we've got during this Peterson speech? Couldn't they... Couldn't the University of wherever do a better job recording this? I mean, and then I realized, oh, no, that's not an audio quality problem. That is a pack of morons who had been removed from the removed from the auditorium who were outside pounding on the doors for the whole speech, folks. I mean, for you know, just pounding on this thing whenever they could, as long as they could. Pounding on doors to stop someone from being heard in an auditorium. Didn't stop him from being heard. It just meant that you heard this weird rumbling sound in the background. I was like, this is a, a really, this is like a commercial for the regressive and intolerant left today. Uh, they And they think they're heroic for doing this. So they have no real devotion to free speech anymore. Culturally, progressives and leftists do not believe in free speech anymore. They don't. They don't. They, they have all these carve-outs and cutouts and uh, and back back doors on this. You know, there's hate speech and there's, uh, there's deplatforming and there's safe spaces and there's all this stuff that they use to essentially shut down speech that they don't like. And, and I would note that, you know, for a while, my opinion on all this had been that we, should never, we shouldn't engage in the same tactics of name and shame that they do. And some people are saying, no, Buck, mutually assured destruction is the only way to get them to stop. So you got to go through the tweets of, of prominent leftists and, and call them out for their hypocrisy because if you don't inflict pain on them, they'll never stop. I don't know if that will get them to stop either, but you know I understand why people are willing to try it because the, the left has really embraced this idea of, uh, of destroying people's careers and their livelihoods by, in many cases, misconstruing what they've said and, and finding ways to shun them from the public space. What gets me thinking about all this, of course, here we are, where everyone's talking about uh, preventing 
3D gun printing information from uh, being able to be shared. And there's this, it's in, in court right now, and, and there's all these issues uh, surrounding it. And ultimately, what they're really talking about here is stopping the passage of information from one person to another. They're doing it under the guise of anything you put on the Internet uh, is a for it's a it has to do with and, and my terminology here. My the specifics don't hold me to the specifics of the wording because I forget. But it's a essentially a foreign export restriction that by putting the ability to make a 3D gun online, you're violating export restrictions on firearms. So they are treating the knowledge about how to build a firearm as the same as a firearm. Which, where does that stop and start, by the way? And you look back at some of the cases in the past where people, I think uh, somebody printed a manual about how to be a hitman and then someone used it in a murder. I heard about that today. You get all these lawyers, you know, all these lawyers are popping up on TV today talking about this. I saw a piece that there was a guy who uh, put the the basics of how to build a hydrogen bomb online, and then they realized, and they wanted to prosecute him or, or make him stop. Of course, once you put it online, it's online, right? There's no, there's no putting the the genie back in the bottle. By the way, is is genie in the bottle? Is that a is that a microaggression? Can we can we get a ruling on that, producer Mike? Are we allowed? Um, he's he's busy answering phone calls. I think. Yeah, he's he's busy. The lines are lit up. Everyone wants everyone wants to talk about 3D guns. We'll get you guys in in a second. Just you got you got to be patient. I got, I got a lot to say. And uh, I'm greedy with the microphone today. So where was I? Oh, yeah, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. Back to my microaggression. And they're trying to stop the spread of this information. It's not going to work, folks. It's just not going to work. And in fact, what they do here is create a greater interest in this. Uh, they create a, a sense that, you know, this is now forbidden information, forbidden knowledge, which means a lot of people are just going to want to download it just because. But what could you extend this to beyond, you know, we, we've had this debate before as a society. By the way, the hydrogen bomb guy, it was all already online. He just pulled it together. So I don't think they were able to really, you know, we're going to start throwing people in prison for citing Wikipedia. I don't, I don't think so. Uh, I think there's one, there are one or two other cases. But how, let, let's really think about this for a moment. If we take the, the libs seriously here, which we should not do because they're libs, and we, we, we prefer to own the libs. But if we take them seriously, what about information online? What about detailed information online about um, pathogens? Uh, and what about microbiology? Things that can be weaponized that are far more terrifying, I would note, than anything you could do with a plastic 3D, uh, 3D printer. Do we restrict that information too? What about the basics of building explosives? Are we going to start to throw people in prison for downloading uh, the anarchist cookbook? Are we going to tell people that the basics of chemistry that are necessary? I mean, I there was a time when I knew how to build homemade bombs. I was trained actually how to build homemade bombs. I've forgotten now. It's you know I didn't have to build many thankfully. So, um, but I, I you know it's it's something that I had familiarity with. It's something that I I did train with, and I will say that. Firearms training was always was always there was a part of me that you know shooting guns, I like shooting guns, uh, but bomb making is it always put me on edge. I, I did not, you know, handling the C four and handling the uh, uh, 
uh, the, what is it, the TATP and all this stuff. That was not, the detonators in particular, detonators, not something you want to make any missteps with. They're real small, but whoops. Get me the detonators. Let's see who can get that quote, by the way. Where are my detonators? One of you will, a couple of you will, a couple of you are true quote ninjas, but I don't, I don't know how many of you are actually going to be able to lay into that one. Um, and I'd give you more, but then I would give it away. So, but are we going to criminalize the, the spread of information online? That's a very troubling, you know, we only do that in very specific circumstances. Uh, you do it in the case of some national security information, but I would note only if you are a party to the legal, um, uh, receipt of that national security information, meaning that if, if you put national security information out there that you have access to, you go to prison. If other people take that information, though, and run with it, and they didn't ever have a clearance, or they didn't ever have a, you know, a, a, uh, a government non-disclosure agreement that they had to sign, they're not going to get in trouble. So, you know, even with that, and then the, uh, the other one, and the big, you know, the, the big bright line that we have in society now is on, uh, you know, on underage pornography. That's a place where people will just say, it's information, but the spread of that information is a is a very very serious federal crime, and it's because of the the continued victimization that her, that happens through the the spread of those of those images and all the rest of it. Um, but we don't do that with weapons. We don't do that with tactics. We don't do that with information that can be misused and is in the and and it's up to the user how it is misused. And that's why I think you get to a very fundamental debate about liberty and the individual and the state here with whether or not you can say that the government will restrict this. In, this is not remember, this is not government information. So they really have they have no right under national security grounds because they're not the originators of this. They have no right to restrict it. They're telling private citizens, you can't tell people about this thing. And the thing is a plastic firearm, which, by the way, you know, you can make a plastic gun without a 3D printer, folks. This is not revolutionizing. Maybe it makes it a little easier. you got to spend a lot of money to get the printer. But this is not the, the terrifying moment in time that they're all saying, oh, it's going to be used. I'm seeing, who was it? Uh, some member of Congress saying it's going to help terrorists. I just saw this. So this was a flash that got sent to me. Last few minutes. Oh, it's going to help terrorists. Um, you know, terrorists have been trying to come up with bombs that can get through uh, scanners and stuff for a long time. By the way, any body scanner in an airport, the ones you go through now, they'll pick. The, there'll be a big bulge on you now, where you're trying to get your plastic firearm through. Uh, but this is not new. There are lots of ways you can mold and manipulate plastic that don't involve a 3D printer. And think of the precedent that we would be setting. If all of a sudden we were saying that because information can be acted upon and then misused, we're going to have federal restrictions. Let's say, we're going to what? We're going to send people to prison for printing 3D, uh, 3D gun specs online. We're really going to do that. How are we going to enforce this? And of course, it's going to pop up overseas countries where they either don't have the will or the ability to regulate the Internet as tightly as, as we do and, and the ability to prosecute people like we do. They're they're not going to be able to stop this. So it's just. Folks, it's anti-gun hysteria, and it all goes back to the stuff that I've been telling you about how most anti-gun opposition you come across in the media and from people on the left is much more about antipathy. It's much more about the dislike that those people 
have for the kind of people who own guns than for guns and violence and all the rest of it. Because they don't like, you know, the, the coastal elitist types, they don't like, you know, guys uh, named, you know, Billy Bob who want to just have a room full of shotguns or something. I mean, they have this very caricatured view of what if, you know, they don't realize, they don't even know that there's, gosh, I don't know, 50 or 60 million gun owners in the United States, roughly, something like that. They don't even know. Uh, they, they, they have no understanding. And what's worse in some ways, they don't even care to understand. They're not even embarrassed when they get this stuff really wrong. When you see journalists who are saying, oh, my gosh, people can make their own firearms now. It's like they already anyone can already make their own firearm. It's just a question of this is an additional technology that would allow it and allow you to make not a very good gun, by the way. And all the same restrictions apply around this gun around a plastic gun as would apply around everything else. You know, do I think the technology is going to get to a point where the guns will be pretty good? Yeah, that's going to happen. But we also realize that prohibition, prohibition of firearms, is an unrealistic goal in this country anyway. So there's that. 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. Your thoughts on this, and then the Mueller probe. Oh, my. So much more coming your way. Stay with me. All right, lines are lit. Let's talk 3D guns, folks. We've got Sean in North Carolina who has some real expertise in 3D printing. Sean, thanks for calling in. Hey, Buck. Um, die hard, by the way, but the accent was a little light um, on the quote. Uh, okay, you're correct on the quote. So tell me about 3D printing. You know about this, I'm told. So, yeah, I, I, make, I make tools for in special education, like educational tools for people to use. And so I spend a lot of time 3D printing things, everything from my lightsaber to, like, Greek statues. Wait, and a lightsaber? Things, what? Yeah, yeah. You, wow. Okay. I mean, it doesn't work. I mean, <laughs> Yeah, I figured, buddy. I like it, though. Go ahead. <laughs> um, and the thing is, whenever you take one of these plans and you put them in, it always prints every object internally hollow. Huh. So if you tried to just take the plan offline, if you didn't know what you're doing with settings and everything else with the printer, it will print it internally hollow. So there's not going to be enough material behind the explosive end of the bullet to do anything. It's just going to blow out the back and blow your face off like a really bad zip gun. You'd be better off modifying a cap gun from the 1980s. Yeah, so you're telling me that this whole plastic gun, they're not even good guns that people would be making on this thing. Well, yeah, and... And, and the plastics shatter really easily with any pressure. I mean, it just, it's just bloody dangerous. But it was funny when someone sent me an email asking me if we could make it in a college department and watching everyone just, like, heads catch on fire when they realized, like, oh, it was hilarious about three, four years ago. So it's, it's old news. Um, and, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a pacifist and a Quaker, and I would look at the thing and go, that's stupid. See that? The Quaker with 3D printing expertise says, no big deal, folks. Hey, Sean, thank you for calling in, man. Shield tie. I appreciate yeah. it. Uh, let's take Rob in Mississippi. Hey, Rob. Shield tie. Bob, sorry. I read that wrong. Bob, good to have you. Well, Rob, Bob, close enough. What's up? Same thing. Well, shield tie. Shield tie to um, you. I can't tell you how easy it is to make a zip gun. I grew up in an orphanage in Chicago, 
And we made zip guns all the time, and none of them ever blew up. The key to it is use a low powder ground. Which yeah, and a twenty-two up close will kill somebody very easily. I mean, people the people yeah. forget that. We used to go to O'Hare Airport where the rabbits are all deaf, and and you know go hunting because we needed the meat. Believe it or not. Wait, you used uh, to hunt rabbits with your zip gun because they were deaf from the planes at O'Hare Airport. That's quite a story. Yeah, we you could sneak up behind them if you were downwind, and <laughs> you know this is amazing. It, you know, it beats hitting them with a rock. You know, so yeah. Yeah, you're but kicking it old school. Uh, that's a, how, how do you, I mean, how, how quickly could I, if I gave you the materials, how quickly could you assemble a zip gun, Rob? Bob, Ten sorry. Ten minutes? Ten minutes. Yep, maybe even less. And yeah. it would work constantly for a very long time. And do you, But you have to use metal parts in a zip gun, right? Oh, yeah. You take a copper tube the size of a twenty two. you put it in a black uh, pipe or galvanized pipe, and then you mount that with some U-bolts to a flat piece of wood, and you mount that piece of wood to a, a handle, which is simple, screws. Take a piece of spring steel, throw it on the back, and and uh, screw it into the wood. And then you bend it down, you pull it back, tick, there wow. it goes. All right. Well, Bob, thanks for sharing the expertise, my friend. Good to talk to you. Shields High. Team, hour two is coming upon us. It's going to be amazing. A lot of you listening to this show are fortunate enough to have uh, furry friends, to have a dog or a cat, uh, and you got a yard. But then you got a problem that comes along with all that, right? Because your dog may decide that it's time to dig. And digging is something that some dogs just like to do. It's in their nature, right? It's instinct. You're not going to train the dog to stop digging, but you can stop them from being able to dig under your fence in the yard. That's what Dig Defense does for you. Dig Defense extends the protection of your fence underground. You can install it at the base of any fence to protect your property and your pet. All you need is a hammer and gloves. No more chasing after Fido after he gets out of the yard and running around the whole neighborhood causing mayhem, all right? Right now, Dig Defense is available online at Lowe's, Tractor Supply, Menards, Wayfair, and StopTheDig.com. And now for the month of July, visit StopTheDig.com and use promo code BUCK for 10% off. That's StopTheDig.com and use promo code BUCK for 10% off your order. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One make, make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. The panic over 3D printed guns continues, my friends. This just happened. Breaking news for all of you. As we are on air, a federal judge in Seattle blocks release of blueprints for 3D printed guns. Let me say, this is stupid. This is lawless. This is counterproductive. But we are dealing with liberals, so I guess that's all we should expect. I thought we were going to move on to other topics, but because of this breaking news here about this federal judge, we got a little more to dig into here. I, I, I didn't give you all of the background for how we got to this point. As I mentioned to you, I, I, I interviewed in 2013 when I interviewed Cody Wilson for the first time on Real News and the Blaze TV about his defense distributed project. Now, Defense Distributed, back in 2013, 
was uh, under the Obama administration found to be in violation of the international international traffic and arms regulations, uh, ITAR, uh, or ITAR, I don't know how you say it, because it had published downloadable plans for 3D printed guns. Folks, those files, and producer Mike was saying this to be the break, he's like, what do they think that, this isn't closing the barn doors after the horses have left, this is like the horses have gone off to other counties, had more horses, had nice horse lives. Some of them ended up getting sent to the glue factory because they got so old. I mean, and then closing the barn doors. This is way gone. And I was kind of sad about the glue factory. I should, you know, I, I like I like the horses. We here, here here's what Cody Wilson was saying about his project. Play it. You have more than 20 states trying to block you from making these right, directions yeah. available online. So what do you expect to happen? I expect they won't win. We've already published the files, so I don't know how they could get me to stop publishing the files. President Trump tweeted that he's looking into 3D plastic guns. He said this doesn't seem to make sense. What's your response to the president? I don't sell 3D guns, so the president will understand that in time. Are you worried that the government will reverse its decision? Oh, like I told you, I already uploaded the plans. I mean, I, you know, it, it's the ship has sailed. It's public domain information now. It's irrevocable. No one can take it back. I believe that access to information is ever tremendously negative or a bad thing. I know that people can use information for bad things, but this isn't a justification to what? Stop a publisher from speaking? He's a smart guy, folks. Uh, he, he, he knows his stuff. He's always stayed within the law, by the way, at all of this. He, he's been very... Uh, very, you know, does not sell these things is, you know, he never gets caught up in not having an FFL license or, you know, he knows what he's doing. And here we are with the fact that the files were downloaded over a hundred thousand times. All those people could have posted them all over the world. We don't know. You can't stop this. What the heck is this all about then? What do people think they're accomplishing here? So, but back just for the background here, so we're all on the same page. So, the international traffic and arms regulation, they were saying that by putting information about how to build a gun online, that was effectively legally the same as if you were trying to like send guns overseas, and they were stopping you preemptively from doing that, saying you can't sell guns overseas, you can't. Put this information online because then it allows people overseas to build guns, to build their own guns, uh, which is quite a stretch. And so then there was a legal battle over this. And of course, you get the Brady Center and every town gun safety and all, all these different groups are all all getting fired up over this thing. But then there was a a settlement that was reached where the. Defense Distributed, which is Cody Wilson's organization, was going to be able to freely publish their gun designs again. Um, But according to a release from the Washington State Attorney General's office, the agreement, which wasn't made public until July 10th, was done in an arbitrary and capricious fashion by the Trump administration and violates the Administrative Procedure Act. This is all from the Seattle Times. There is no indication in the settlement agreement or elsewhere that any analysis, study, or determination was made by the government defendants in consultation with other agencies, says the release from the Attorney General's office. Folks, this is lawlessness, okay? This is, this is not up to some judge somewhere to weigh in on and say, yeah, I don't think the federal government in reaching this settlement did a good enough job, so I'm going to block this. You know, do, do federal judges think they can overrule anything that the federal government does? Is, is that now the new... Any one federal judge can say, no, you can't go to war with that country because I say so. 
because I don't think it's a good idea. This is what you get. This is what you know. You, you look out at the Ninth Circuit and some of these, some of these very liberal, uh, some of these very liberal appellate courts, and you get these guys who and gals, these judges, who think that their their role is to be hashtag resistance and to prevent the American people from having to suffer the consequences that come from the elected officials that they voted for. That's what's going on here. You got all these different states that are suing too. quote, the multi-state lawsuit alleges the settlement between Wilson, his company and the Trump administration did not get the approval of the Department of Defense and didn't give Congress 30 days notice before agreeing to allow defense distributed to begin publishing 3D gun files by creating a special exemption for Wilson's company at the in the ETAR. The lawsuit also says the settlement infringes on states rights to regulate firearms therefore violating the 10th Amendment. I mean, this is just kitchen sink pathetic stuff. This is, they're just throwing everything at this. What do they think they're going to accomplish? This is creating a massive gun control straw man and then gleefully dousing it in gasoline and setting it on fire and thinking you're doing something useful. Hundreds of thousands of people already have these files. Around the world, it's the internet. Technology is passing by these status progressives and their desire to regulate everything. Uh, this is amazing. A temporary restraining order from this judge. Remember, this just happened. A federal judge in Seattle has put out a temporary restraining order to stop the release of these 3D blueprints. Remember, this is Cody Wilson, the whole organization at this point, they're just trying to make a point. The point is the government can't just control information because it doesn't like what some people will do with that information. That's not that's not a a a legal justification for censorship, which is what we're talking about here. That would survive strict scrutiny. You know, so this is this is a failure. Of, the liberals are failing here on every level. This isn't the threat they think it is. They're willing to throw the First Amendment under the bus for this. They don't understand the real implications of this technology. They can't stop this technology. They're just, it's just flailing. It's just this, this, this rage effort here. Mike, who, uh, who, who do we have? We got lines a little all over the place. I want, we got a lot of people want to call in on this one. Who do we have that wants to talk guns? All right. Bill in, uh, Bill in Mississippi. What's up? This is Bill in Florida. Oh, in Florida. Sorry. Live Oak, Florida. My bad. Go ahead, Bill. Oh, that's okay. That don't make any difference. You know, these things, is uh, they can do what they want with them as far as trying to pull stuff off, but it's going to get overruled anyway. But, you know, making weapons, and I worked in the Department of Corrections and stuff like that, and they they could make a weapon out of an ink pen. You know, all they had to do was get a hold of a bullet. That's not a big deal. The governor back here about, oh, I'm going to say about 25 years ago, uh, he was on a podium, and the Florida Highway Patrol, FHP, was making sure of his security, he come up uh, with a spud gun. Now, do you know what a spud gun is? Uh, is it a gun that fires potatoes? That, you're exactly correct. <laughs> okay, that's a thing. I didn't and know that was a very, thing. Yeah, and it's very quiet. It's like... You know, if you if you shot somebody with a bow and arrow, which people seem to forget about that type of thing, those are silent, silent killers. You know, so if you know, 
mean, yeah, there are a lot of weapons. There's a lot of way to, a lot of ways to hurt people. Well, I mean, I, I was saying this before. I was that, you know? I was trained in how to make you know. Look, it's very. I don't want to get into this right because people are going to yell at me. But there are very easy ways no. to make the equivalent of homemade napalm to make essentially a sticky, right. viscous uh, Molotov cocktail that not only will it explode on impact and, and spread as an incendiary, but is very hard to That's get off. Cool. It kind of sticks to you almost like a like a gelatinous, super hot Play-Doh. Uh, it's not hard to make it all, folks. It's it's a couple I, of ingredients. I know what it you know? is. I've, I've, I've worked in law enforcement. Matter of fact, I'm fixing to go down to uh, the border down there once the dust settles when they quit fighting all this stuff to work for International Customs Enforcement. That's what ICE is. A lot of people don't even understand the definition of it. But that's what it is, International Customs Enforcement. So I'm fixing to head that way out of Florida to hit the New Mexico-Arizona line down there. They say just slightly north of the border and watch and see what happens. You know, which I will get paid well for that. Well, there we go. Well, good. You know, when you make that trek, good luck, my friend. And thank you for thank you very much for your call. Oh man, producer Mike. Who else? We got? I mean, my uh, my call screen's down here, so I got to ask him. Who who else we have on the lines? We had we had everything lit before we went into the break, and then I talked for a lot. I know, so people get bored of me talking. Uh, or not bored of me talking. They get bored of hold. Hopefully that doesn't happen. They get bored holding while I am talking. Um, but hey, look, this this gun thing, uh, this this three D printed gun thing. It's, it's just another another instance of the uh, knee jerk and reactionary uh, anti gun view that is so uh, so dominant on the left now. This information is already out there. It's all over the place. You're not going to stop it. It's not even particularly valuable or dangerous information. And the fact that the Obama administration took this position before is preposterous. And all this is doing is highlighting the work that Cody Wilson has done and teaching a lot of people out there a whole lot more about 3D printed guns. This is going to make it a a form of kind of anti-status protest now to learn how to make your 3D printed gun. And what are they going to do? They're going to start throwing people in prison for downloading a file. Does that is that what's going to happen? They're going to download a file about how to build an inanimate object. And you're going to go to prison for that now? How do they think they're going to stop this? It's, it's By the way, you know what's going to happen? I mean, Mike, I'll make a prediction right now. Someone's going to, you know, just print this, or is going to share the link in a very public place just as, a, as an extended solitary finger to the federal government right now. That's what's going to happen. Right? I mean, why not? Anyway, you know, WikiLeaks or one of these organizations will just put something up like, here you go. Information terrorism. That's what they're going to say. Uh, 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. I, I will talk about the Mueller probe a, a little bit, at least. We'll get into that, so stay with me. I know you want a home security system, and you want the best. You want something that will cover you top to bottom, and you don't have to worry about getting locked into some long-term contract or being with some kind of shady company that's just about squeezing dollars out of you instead of keeping your dollars safe and your family safe at home. Simply Safe checks all the boxes, folks. It's simply the best home security system out there. It gives you fantastic protection. It's easy to use. You know, I've known these guys a long time. Simply Safe used to just be five guys working together, and they came up with this idea because one of them had been burglarized. So they know what's at stake here. They really do. The system is easy to use. I've got it at home, and let me tell you, it is so user friendly. You download an app, everything, everything you need to do, you can do remotely, right? Go order it yourself now. Go to simplysafe.com slash buck. That's simplysafe.com slash buck. My listeners will get free shipping and free returns by going to simplysafe.com slash buck. 
I believe we're coming toward the end, so I'm talking to some of the people who are involved in the original part of the, of the investigation. I thank John for all of the cooperation he gave them because he puts us in a position where we don't have to cooperate. We gave them 1.4 million documents, 32 witnesses. President Trump has answered every question. And now they're looking at his tweets to investigate him for... Trying to for, influence... Uh, obstruction of justice by tweet. Yeah. I prosecuted obstruction of justice. If they're going to do obstruction of justice by tweet to impeach a president, God bless us. Because I've seen the, this game played many times before. Uh, there's a stall game going on at DOJ and FBI. They're trying to stall as much as they can, hoping and betting that Republicans would lose the House in the fall. And if that happens, then you essentially, it shuts down everything. Rod Rosenstein will not be held in contempt. FBI will not be held accountable. All these investigations will shut down. Everything will be buried. And you'll be left with media narratives saying, oh, what the public can't read, what you really can't read, what's blacked out, that's the really bad stuff against Carter Page and the Republicans in the Trump campaign. That's why the sooner the president declassifies this, the better. And I think the American people need to understand how important it's going to be to get out and vote in this election. It's very important stuff from Congressman Nunes there. Very important. I've been saying this, too. Don't think that just, you know, you had Rudy there starting off with the whole Mueller and the president shouldn't sit down with him. But also people are saying that, that it's coming. You know, he said that he thinks it's coming to an end. And then, you know, let's say in the next six months the Mueller probe's coming to an end but that's not that's not enough for a lot of us it's not just that we want the Mueller probe to come to an end I want answers I want to know how it got to this point how it got to this place I want to know what is blacked out in that FISA application that Congressman Nunes told me to my face is as bad if not worse than the stuff about the dossier well what could that be then you know, stuff that will make it very clear that there was political targeting going on, that there was abuse of power. There'll be no way around it. And people have to come to grips with the reality that the FBI was weaponized by the Hillary Clinton campaign using foreign cutouts and foreign sources against Trump. I don't just want this thing to go away. I also want justice. And justice means a full accounting. It means answers as to how we got to this point. You don't, you're going to see CNN is just going to kind of slink away from this whole thing, too, once the Mueller probe wraps up and act like they haven't been essentially promising their audience that there would be this massive Russia conspiracy proven that involved the Trump administration. Don't let them get away with this. Oh, look at all the indictments of the Russian trolls. It's, it's nothing. And it doesn't mean anything. It's meaningless. Yeah. How many how many Russians have been hauled into U.S. courts to face face justice for setting up some sock puppet accounts on Twitter. Answer, zero. That's not going to change anytime soon either. So this has been a, a whole lot of smokescreen, a whole lot of sore loserism about Hillary and 2016. That's what motivates this. Not, oh, it's about democracy and defending the country and the institutions are under assault. That's not what motivates this. You can pretend that that's what's necessary. They've pretended, they've created this this top cover for themselves under that whole pretense. But the reality is that they want to bog down the Trump administration, which they've been somewhat successful in doing, not entirely. And they want revenge for Hillary's loss. That's what is driving this. And so that's what's at stake here. I'm not even, you know what, maybe we'll talk more about Manafort tomorrow. 
The most interesting thing about the Manafort trial so far is that the guy spent $15,000 on an ostrich jacket. Producer Mike, if I gave you $60 million tomorrow for hanging with shady Russian and Ukrainian oligarchs, I do not think that an ostrich jacket for fifteen grand would make it into the producer Mike budget. I don't think so. No? Yeah. Maybe, maybe a crocodile coat, kind of like Morpheus in the Matrix. That was pretty boss. You know what I'm talking about? He wore like that, or alligator, not crocodile, alligator, whatever. Some kind of like lizard skin coat. That's some next level stuff. But an ostrich, I don't even know what an ostrich coat would look like. This, folks, this was read out today. The prosecutors, to really just make Manafort look like a greedy SOB, they, uh, they, they talked about his $15,000 ostrich coat. Think of all the ostriches that went into making that. Oh, no. You know what? Ostriches are mean. I'll tell you that. Not nice. They're big. They're fast. They'll peck at you. They'll kick you. So, you know, I think they race them in some parts of the world, too. They're ostrich races. Or is it emus they race? I can't keep it all straight. I know. I'm an amateur zoologist here in the Freedom Hunt. All right, all right. Immigration. I've got, folks, I've got some stuff to tell you about immigration and ICE and abolish ICE that, that I don't think you'll hear anywhere else, and it's very, very important. So please stay with me. That's coming up in just a moment. A sanctuary city. Yeah. We're not going to provide them additional information so they can go out and round up people. If I could abolish ICE, I would. Um, but we can abolish this contract, and we are. That's the uh, the Philadelphia mayor there, Jim Kenny. Producer Mike, do you know this guy? I, I do. What's I what's his what's his deal? He's a uh, progressive leftist uh, liberal mayor of the city of Philadelphia. So, so you're telling me he's he's incompetent, uh, makes promises that he can't follow through on, and basically panders to people? Yes, yes, and yes. Oh, I had a feeling. Yeah. I had a feeling. Well, but I guess at least he roots for the Eagles, right? So he's got that uh, going for him. Yeah, nice. uh, that's in question to me. I don't know. <laughs> Mike, Mike won't even give him that one. No. Mike's like, uh, in the beginning, in the beginning there, he was singing about. Um, it's a little hard to hear, but he was singing about being named the Sanctuary City. And in the video, he's actually dancing. Wow. Yeah. Very interesting. You know, I so I I had a talk today with a uh, a very. He was actually acting director of Immigration and Customs Enforcement, so I can tell you exactly who it was under the Obama administration. Now, now immediately when I sat down to talk to this guy. I figured, okay, because I was doing an interview with him, I figured he's he's an Obama-era guy, so he's going to... Now, he you know he was a little more favorable to some of the Obama decisions than I would be, and I, I get that. But he also gave some very interesting context. Let me tell you some important things. Here's some things you're not going to hear from probably anybody else about what's going on, really, with this whole Abolish ICE movement and all the rest of it. First of all, this guy agreed, and he was acting ICE director, so I'm not surprised he said this. He the whole abolish ice chant thing is this is for idiots. This is this is idiotic. This makes no sense. It's not serious, and it's really unfair. Uh, you know, it's it. You got people who are maligning immigrations and customs enforcement, which involves a lot of veterans. I think about thirty percent veterans in terms of the overall, overall organization. And the, and then there are there are two other areas though where, where I was talking to this guy and about the whole abolish ice movement that I thought were really interesting and he's a this guy had been a lawyer for a long time he knows the ins and outs of it so I was really able to push him on some stuff so here's the thing there there's the whole notion of catch and release in sanctuary cities let me deal with the what's really going on with catch and release so he says that there is a he said that that the policy of the Obama administration was. Not, you know, there wasn't the same scale of people who were coming over. So that's one thing. 
Um, but what what Obama was was doing was that they were giving people because I said, look, no one shows up. What, what Obama was doing was, hey, OK, we'll process you and we'll give you a court date to determine your asylum claim. But you get to stay in the United States if you come with a kid while we make a determination about your claim. And I said, well, come on, man, like no one's showing up for, the, for those hearings. He said, actually, that's not really true. People will show up for the hearings. And I and then I, I pushed him a little more. I said, oh, OK, hold on a second, buddy. Remember, this was Obama's acting immigration and customs enforcement director. very senior guy in Obama. I said, oh, OK, well, hold on a second. How quickly do those hearings happen? He goes, well, four or five years out a lot of the time. I said, oh, OK, OK, now we're getting somewhere. So the Obama... See, this is what they do, and this is why we can't have a serious discussion with the Obama people about immigration. This guy, he answered the questions. I'll give him credit. But you see the hidden hand here of what Obama was really up to, what his administration was really trying to accomplish. They say that they're just letting people wait for their hearings. They say that there's a high percentage of people showing up for the hearings. What they don't want to say, and they hope no one figures out, and journalists are all, oh, I apologize. They're crying about everything. What they hope that they don't figure out is that they delay the hearing so far into the future that no person realistically, and he admitted this, he admitted this, no person could believe that there would be a deportation of anyone who had been in the country and not committed additional crimes after four or five years, if they showed up to their asylum hearing. So you see, what it allows them to do is create the ties into America and the backstory where, once again, there are dreamers or parents of dreamers or parents of U.S. citizens because they've had kids in the last four or five years. They, they allow, that's the scam. I see it now. No one else talking about this. No one else focused in on this problem. I thought this was so interesting. Because you know that, that you know, Obama's a pro-illegal guy. The Democrats, their mindset, they are pro-illegal immigration. They're not trying to limit it. They're not trying to stop it. They're trying to cover it up and turn a blind eye to it, but they want more of it, you know? The Democrats are like the kid who opens the back door to his parents' house and wants as many of his buddies to come up and party, you know, in the... In the uh, apartment over the garage as possible, but doesn't want mom and dad to know how many people over, right? I mean, that's what Democrats are doing with illegal immigration. They're just waving everybody into the house party when mom and dad aren't looking. It's like, oh, no, I'm, I'm not inviting people over. And that, so there you go. That's, you know, there, there are so many ways they've, they've been scamming the American people. And that's really what Obama's doing in immigration. When you dig into it, you know, the whole thing of Obama's deporter in chief, that never made any sense, right? That didn't make any sense. So, so how, oh, that's right. The way they created the perception of Obama as strict on the border, as the, quote, deporter in chief, was to say that if Border Patrol, who that's right, they patrol the border, Immigration and Customs Enforcement has a separate function about law enforcement and processing and, and immigration courts. Uh, but Border Patrol catches somebody and then turns them away at the border. That's considered a deportation under the Obama era rules. So that just increases that you know that just increases their numbers without actually increasing any enforcement or anything else. It's just changing the definition. So there's the perception of uh, of additional scrutiny and strictness at the border. Okay. So the delay though with the hearings that was I said okay now it all makes sense. 
folks, you know this list to me. You think after some, who's going to go in front of an immigration judge after five years of being in the country claiming that they need asylum from Central America? You think these immigration judges are going to say, sorry, you got to go? And oh, by the way, if they say that, you really think that they're going to, they're going to get deported immediately. They'll probably get the end of a backlog of deportations. And they're, it's just the whole, the thi- the whole thing. Yeah, the system is only broken because people are breaking it because they're breaking the law. Uh, so, so you have all, all of that. And uh, then you have the issue of sanctuary cities. And you know what? Let, let me, I, I want to I come back to this, actually. Let me come back to sanctuary cities on either side. Because this was really interesting, and it's something no one else is going to talk to you about. At least not that I think. Uh, and and I, details on this. And then also we've got, we got a senator today who just showed you what she does not know about immigration, which is the first thing. She does not know the first thing about immigration. We'll, we'll get more of this. Stay with me. Would you send your child to FRCs? Again, I think we're, we're, we're missing the point. These individuals are there because they have broken a law. There has to be a process. They have broken a law only as deemed so by the president with his... No, ma'am. They're, they're there for violation of Title Eight of the Immigration of the U.S. and Nationality Act. Uh, okay, they're 8 U.S.C. 1325. That's illegal entry is both a criminal and civil violation. They are in those FRCs pending the outcome of that civil immigration process. They have broken the law. Well, these are mainly, my, my understanding is that uh, under the zero tolerance, these are no longer civil, civil proceedings, but in fact, were criminal proceedings. They were both, so? they were criminal proceedings when the Border Patrol prosecuted them, but at the conclusion of that process, once the individual came into ICE custody, they would go through administrative proceedings. I'm confused. <laughs> yes, she is. Oh, man. That was Democratic Senator uh, Hirono, who... You'll notice she's like, well, it's, they're not breaking the law. Yeah, actually, U.S. Senator, it is breaking the law to enter the United States illegally. That is true. That is a thing. That's real. You'll notice the Democrats now have gotten so caught up in their rhetoric and the nonsense and all the stuff that there's that, that they don't seem to really believe anymore that illegal aliens are committing an illegal act. They believe this. These slogans like no person is illegal, which is just brainless. These things that people say, there's no such thing as a person who's illegal. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, you you can call a person someone who is is trespassing while carrying your private possessions. Or you can say they're a burglar, right? I mean, technically, the problem is the things they're doing. But you're still going to refer to somebody as a burglar if they are trespassing and taking your stuff. I don't think we have to refer to them as stuff takers who happen to be in a place that, that they are not legally entitled to be. You know, who, who, have, who have gone onto your private property. Burglar is fine. Trespasser is fine. Uh, you know, One who commits the illegal act does get tainted by the verbiage of the illegal act. That's just the way it is. And you see this with Hirono. She's like, wait, I don't, you know, folks, these are the people writing the immigration laws. These are the, the Senator Hirono. These are, she, she, I'm confused. She doesn't know what's going on. Our own members of Congress. And I, I would tell you this. If we were able to do one of those kind of man on the street things just with members of Congress and ask them an immigration law. You know, how many members of Congress do you think that aren't sitting on a certain subcommittee or aren't involved in this you know, as, as a major part of their portfolio Know that a country that a foreign country that does not take uh, people that we deport 
willingly and 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 as a partner in that process we we have a we had the legal right to ban all visas from that country in fact that is the prescribed punishment for that offense for another country so if guatemala doesn't take back all the people we want to deport to guatemala the state department the united states government supposed to say no more visas that's in law how many members of congress even know that how many members of Congress knew that it is an additional penalty? It becomes a felony if you are deported from the country and re-enter illegally. In fact, there are a lot of conservatives saying, we need to pass a law that makes it... No, no, there already was a law. People will know. This is part of the devolution that happens in our public consciousness around the issue of immigration when laws are not enforced. When some laws are not enforced, we have to ask the question, which laws do we take seriously? And no one really has the answers. Now, I, in the, before we went into that, that quick moment with our wonderful sponsors, uh, I, I was telling you about how the catch and release process really works. And what the, what the scam is the delay, in a lot of cases, it's the delay in the hearings because they're, they're either not going to show up or if they do show up, so much time will have passed that they're never going to get deported. Then you have the sanctuary city component of this. And this is really important, folks. This is really interesting. And I am not hearing about this from anyone else. There are 7,000 or so criminal investigators attached to Immigrations and Customs Enforcement who do not do immigration-specific enforcement they do transnational uh, federal criminal issues that happen to coincide with the you know illegal flows into this country. Stuff having to do with cartels, child trafficking, uh, you know any form of human trafficking, uh, you know major criminal activity. And because of the zealotry behind some of these sanctuary jurisdictions like New York and San Francisco and Chicago, because of the ideological commitment to this notion of sanctuary cities, it's not just that local and state law enforcement are being told in these places, you cannot, I mean, California's passed laws to make it a criminal offense to try too hard to help law enforcement. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. But it is not solely that they are blocking enforcement in illegal alien havens and illegal alien uh, communities with regard to immigration specific crimes these sanctuary jurisdictions are blocking the criminal investigators of immig- uh, immigrations and customs enforcement who are involved in stopping people that are trafficking children for sex across state lines stopping people who are uh, trafficking drugs stopping any federal crime that crosses over into the Immigrations and Customs Enforcement radar. I mean, you know, there's a lot of coordination between these different law enforcement agencies. And the fact that you have local law enforcement being told, oh, sorry, uh, ICE, you know, the ICE criminal investigators, um, you know, HSI, this is what they're called. Here, let me just tell you that HSI, this is from the... ICE.gov website. Criminal investigators, also referred as special agents, conduct criminal investigations involving national security threats, terrorism, drug smuggling, child exploitation, human trafficking, illegal arms export, financial crimes, identity fraud, benefit fraud, and more. 
HSI special agents had the opportunity to work regularly with federal, state, and local law enforcement agencies, uh, including the FBI, DEA, and U.S. Marshal Service. They had the opportunity to participate in special task forces or fugitive operations teams. They are essentially federal auxiliaries of the various missions of DEA and FBI and others who also bring access and expertise to the immigration and international transnational component of things. And folks, these people are being told. And this is what they're not, you know, they would say, oh, well, you know, we don't want, we don't want local law enforcement to be doing immigration work. We don't want local law enforcement. That's the line you hear. Well, these thousands of Homeland Security investigators, uh, these, these, these criminal investigators with the Homeland Security Department under, remember, Immigration and Customs Enforcement is under Homeland Security. They are getting the stiff arm from local law enforcement, too. They are being told, sorry, can't help you, can't work with you on this issue, can't share informants with you, can't share information if it's going to possibly cross over. So when people like Trump are saying that these sanctuary jurisdictions are aiding and abetting MS-13 and and the, the worst of the worst, the baddest of the bad, it's true. It's true. Because they're so concerned with the optics and the perception of, oh, we're welcoming to illegals, and they're not illegal, they're undocumented. Do not cave on that. Do not allow them to get you saying it. I, it's happened occasionally, I'll blurt out, like, yeah, I mean, the undocumented, I mean, illegal alien. I mean, you know, do not let the propaganda seep into your brain. They're working very hard at it. They're, they're really pushing hard. You know, CNN, these other clown show places, uh, they don't do the research. They don't do the work. They don't know what they're talking about on immigration and customs enforcement. And there are real efforts. Uh, there are real problems where there's a blockage of cooperation on on the most important kinds of criminal investigations because these jurisdictions won't work with immigration and customs enforcement, period. That's what I was told today by the acting ICE director under Obama. And that's a story people need to know. That's a truth that needs to get out there, needs to become a part of this discussion. Uh, and I'm going to do my part to get the word out. Uh, we got a big third hour coming up, team. Got an update for you on a jihadist who was uh, saved several times by the West and repaid that debt with a suicide bombing. Vile scum will delve into his ideology. Stay with me. You are now entering the Freedom Hut Tactical Operations Center. All sensitive programs must be kept strictly need to know. Team Buck is cleared. Roger that. And ready for the Buck Brief. The Manchester suicide bomber who killed 22 people at an Ariana Grande concert in May of 2017. Uh, turns out he was rescued by the British Royal Navy a few years earlier. This is one of these cases where... It's just so clear to me that it's not about poverty or deprivation or isolation from society or any of these other uh, additional factors that can lead someone to become a jihadist. It is about a belief in jihad. That is the that is the precursor, the precondition. You must have a belief in jihad to act in this way. You must truly think that it is the truth uh, that you are a holy warrior for Muhammad and fighting for Allah and all, all the stuff that they always say and they put in their martyrdom videos. So this guy, Salman Abedi, who was born in Manchester, okay, he was born in Manchester in the UK because his parents 
fled to the United Kingdom and were given a safe haven there. So, you know, his, his, his family owes their lives to the generosity of the United Kingdom and the people of, of Britain. And then his father returned, uh, his father returned to Libya in 2011 after rebels overthrew the government. Uh, and then the, the, the son here, Salman Abedi, was in Libya and was rescued because things got so, things got so hot during the, the civil war in Libya, was rescued by the British Navy and proceeded to go and blow up a pop concert, an Ariana Grande concert, kill 22 people. I mean, just in one of the, as, as unspeakable and, and horrific and senseless an act of violence as any human being could ever, uh, could ever engage in. You know, that's one of the parts of this whole immigration and asylum debate as it involves the, the Islamic world is, you know, y- you would think that there is a sense of gratitude from people who flee to the West because we've given them safe haven. But you have to remember that there is an entire ideology of radical Islam that, and, and Islamism that blames all of the problems of the Islamic world on the West. So essentially, essentially, effectively, it is our fault. The dysfunctions that they think they are fleeing in the Middle East are a result of they'll be told by radicalized imams, by their own government media in many cases, by mainstream papers, by Western papers, by, by leftists in Europe and in America. There was the dysfunction that they are suffering in the Islamic world is our fault. And so why, while, and look, I understand that we're speaking in, the, in broad strokes here and that there are lots of people who are incredibly grateful to be here. And, you know, you, you could probably tell me stories about either uh, refugees who live in your hometown or whatever who are you know who are great and they're become great Americans and goes, I get that but there's something specific the same way that there is a unique threat posed to civilization by the ideology of radical Islam and, and jihadism it is a unique threat I'm not saying it's the only threat but it's a particularly poignant one uh, there's also something unique in this moment in time in this ideology where we, as the societies that are bringing people in, have to be on guard for those who aren't going to be grateful. In fact, are going to view this as a point of weakness. I'm reminded of that interview that I did on air uh, not long ago with uh, Dr. Bernard. I don't know how many of you recall this. Uh, but she she had written this piece, and she's a fluent German speaker who is who spent lots and lots of time in Afghanistan as well. I believe she speaks Pashto fluently, uh, although I'd have to check to make sure about that. But she is uh, married to an Afghan, and she did this whole study on Afghan refugees in Austria and how these horrific, uh, these horrific acts of violence, this was back in the summer of 2017, she published this in the National Interest. Cheryl Bernard was her name. Afghans stand out among the refugees committing crimes in Austria and elsewhere. Why? And she said it's because they, they have been trained both at home and then by fellow refugees and in in, once they've been accepted into the host country to hate the country that has taken them in. 
And with Salman Abedi, the suicide bomber from the Ariana Grande concert, whose family was saved by Britain, and then who once he decided to go fight in Libya, people say, oh, Buck, but that war, you know, against Gaddafi, the West and, and NATO and Britain, you know, we were all involved in that. Okay, but so were we supposed was I, I don't think that was a good idea. That was a Hillary Clinton thing. And that's a whole a whole separate discussion we could get into. But are we now to believe that Gaddafi was that, that the Libyan people would have been happier if Gaddafi could have slaughtered the people of Benghazi? I, I, I just, you know, it's always we're damned if we do, damned if we don't. People are just looking for excuses. They're looking for ways to blame the dysfunctions of their society on the West, on the freest, most prosperous, happiest, best places, which are which is the Western world, which I would note is not really a geographic determination anymore. You know, a lot of people would say that either Japan and South Korea are part of uh, increasingly part of Western civilization. Um, and certainly Australia, which is by no in no geographic way, New Zealand in no geographic way united with us. But they're definitely part of uh, Western civilization. Right. So it's more about ideals, rule of law, and culture than it is about actual geography when we refer to the West. The West has become a pretty imprecise term. And as a lot of people would note, the parts of Africa are way far west of parts of Europe, so it, just, it doesn't really make any sense geographically. It's it's more of a uh, of an ideal of, of uniting factors around a whole bunch of, of different, uh, different countries. But th- this is something we really have to pay attention to. Because, you know, the previ- the history of the United States taking in immigrants, particularly in moments of crisis for them, is gratitude for the to the host country. You know, gratitude to the host country for saving them, for taking in, you know, the from the poem, right? The poor, the weak, the hunger, all that. Even though that's not official U.S. policy and hasn't been, you know, there's some sentimentality that I guess has a validity there about how we just take in people from all over the world based on a whole bunch of different factors. But with the Islamic world, as we see from Salman Abedi, there can be people whose families are saved by the West, who then they themselves are personally saved by by Western forces as they escape a conflict where Western forces, you know, if you're, I'm, I'm really trying to add this all up, right? And, and I know I'm, I'm giving you stream of consciousness here and I, I need to tighten this sense, uh, the, the, tighten this, analysis up for you a little bit so it's very clear where i'm going but you got a guy whose family was saved by the uk who then went to fight in a conflict where the uk was involved in trying to save more libyans for humanitarian reasons and then things get too hot there for him so he has to be saved from a a, you know sinking boat in the mediterranean by the british navy so his family saved by the brits then the brits try to save probably his extended family in libya and then they save him specifically when he's escaping the conflict where they're trying to save his extended family in Libya after his family went back there after the, the Brits saved his family in the first place, right? They see this big circle of just the West just helping this guy out. And he returns home and he straps on a suicide vest and kills 22 people, young girls trying to enjoy a, a pop concert. Um, this, this is a, a, a true uh, and, and very dark form of brain of brainwashing geared toward evil that that's what happens with the jihadist mindset anything becomes permissible to them so long as they could fit it into this rubric of of jihad and and any act of violence against their perceived opponents in this who's every which means really everyone who doesn't agree with them 
is more is not just morally acceptable it has a divine right and that's what is different about radical islam from a lot of other things the notion that allah is a, a essentially a a guarantee of moral righteousness despite the heinousness of any particular act whatever you do under this banner of radical islam under the banner of jihad is is inherently justified uh because it is part of the it is part of this struggle, this divinely ordained struggle. And I will tell you that we are in a a period right now where it feels like there's a lull. And I I don't think it has nothing to do with Trump, too. I'll tell you that. Uh, I think that the bad guys know that if they give if they step out of line, if the jihadists step out of line, they give Trump an opportunity. He's just gonna drop the drop the hammer on them like it's never been dropped before. Um, you know, I think that there is that the symbolism of some of Trump's bigger strikes as commander in chief against the Islamic world's uh, terrorist safe havens have had real effect and impact. But, you know, Al Qaeda is resurgent right now in Yemen. Nobody's talking about Yemen. I'm thinking I'll probably do a Yemen deep dive here on the show tomorrow. It's the biggest humanitarian crisis in the world, folks. No, you know, all these. Media talking heads are all blah, blah, blah. We care so much about people and why Republicans are mean and all this other stuff, right? Uh, Nobody's talking about the fact that Yemen is on the brink of of a complete catastrophe right now, meaning that there's a blockade and they're they're running out of food. We haven't seen anything like a forced mass starvation on the scale that you'd be seeing in Yemen in decades. I mean, the only thing that, that comes to mind that would really come close would be Somalia. If you remember, there's U.S. military intervention in Somalia. We, you know, under U.N. auspices, Black Hawk Down, happening because people are starving. That's happening right now in Yemen. But the media would rather tell you about Michael Avenatti and Stormy Daniels and Cohen. And all that. that's what they're focused on. That's the awareness raising they're doing, not the fact that Yemen's about to collapse. All right, we've got much more teams. Stay right there. The FBI calls home title theft one of the fastest growing crimes out there. And you have to brace yourself, folks, because if you've ever had your credit card stolen, as I have, it's nothing compared to what you're in for. The hell you're in for if an identity thief takes control of your home's title. It's so easy to do this online, folks. I've seen the demo. Home title lock folks have walked me through it. They get access to the necessary information about your home's title. Then they create an online forgery. They print it out. They get it notarized, and bam! All of a sudden, they can start. Requ- they can start getting loans against your property, against your equity. You find out about this when you get the payments. Don't let this happen to you. For just pennies a day, Home Title Lock protects my most viable asset, my family's home. Register now for a free analysis and discover if your home's title has been compromised. That's a sixty-dollar value free. Visit HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg says she isn't going anywhere anytime soon. The justice reportedly said yesterday she hopes to stay on the bench for at least another five years. The 85-year-old told CNN, quote, My senior colleague, Justice John Paul Stevens, stepped down when he was 90, so I think I have about at least five more years. At least five more years. That's the plan for the uh, U.S. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. A lot of eyes. 
eyes on Ruth Bader Ginsburg's workout regime yeah. regimen yes, because, well, we'll see. A lot, lot hangs in the balance. They call her the notorious RBG BG. for a reason. Yep. Yep. She sets the standards in working out, being smart, you know, yep. well into your late 80s. She's physically active. Jonathan, RBG, five more years. We've seen the workouts. Progressives who desperately want um, RBG to stay. I sometimes envision or hope that Ruth Bader Justice Ginsburg uh, sleeps in bubble wrap, walks around in bubble wrap, because I want nothing to happen to her. <laughs> I mean, there's, oh my gosh, it's pathological, folks. They're so terrified of what would happen if they lost their super legislature. Uh, <laughs> their super legislature, that is the Supreme Court. Uh, which has handed the left victory after victory for decades, and now that we're kind of now that we're hip to the scam, and it may no longer work for them, they're particularly upset. But this whole notion of of Ruth Bader Ginsburg as a pop culture hip hero is is another one of these incredible media constructs. Uh, I mean, there's this whole cult of the RBG of the Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Workout. I mean, there's a lot of of pieces. If you go up and you Google uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg workout, a lot of things pop up, and people talk about this, and they talk about it like the RBG, like the notorious B.I.G., which was Biggie Smalls. This is all a construct, folks. This is all out of nowhere because they're they're creating this persona for Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who is you know a a, a an older woman who. I, I don't think you could say it's particularly tied into the pop culture of the moment, but this is what happens. This is the treatment you get from the left when you give them what they want politically. They'll make you cool even if you're not cool. They'll make you hip even if you're not hip. They'll create the perception that you do these super hardcore workouts that like nobody else can do. I mean, this is a piece on Politico. I did Ruth Bader Ginsburg's workout. It nearly broke me. Pumping iron with RBG's personal trainer is no joke. I mean, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I'm happy that she's staying, you know, healthy and all this stuff. But I got to be honest with you, you know, she's kind of a frail old woman. I mean, can we can we stop with this Ruth Bader Ginsburg superhero cult nonsense? But there is a there is really this weird panic from Democrats because, you know, Kennedy retired officially today. See how the Supreme Court opening. I I, I got Ron Johnson coming on the show uh, on not this show on Rising Tomorrow, I want to ask him about McConnell. McConnell is saying that it's clear sailing here on getting Kavanaugh through. Kavanaugh, there's nothing they can uh, come up with that's going to derail this nomination. They're trying so hard, but it's pathetic. And they are completely panicked about Ginsburg. I mean, Ginsburg coming out now and saying that she's going to be, she's good for another five years. Let me just also point out, and I'm, I'm not, look, I wish no person ill health based on their politics. Because I'm not. I am not actually a savage. I'm not a leftist. I'm not a collectivist. Uh, but Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you know, she doesn't know. She doesn't know what the years, you know, she's 80. Oh, my gosh, she's 85. I thought she was late 70s. Pardon me. I, I didn't realize she's 85 years old. My gosh. Now, you know, 85 is the new 75. I get that. But still. That's, you know, she's she's up there. Um, you know, she's going to wait till 90 before she retires. 
And there's clearly a political reason for this, folks. I mean, she I think she understands in the back in the back of her mind. I think she realizes Trump's going to be president for a long time. You know, Trump is going to break in the uh, liberal media over time, whether they like it or not, because he's going to be around for quite some time. Uh, But that she's here saying that she's going to last through the Trump presidency is a signal to the left. Right. And she's trying to calm their fears, I suppose. Keep in mind, folks, that once you're 85, you know, you don't know. You don't know what five years, you know what really the future. None of us really know what what five years will hold. Gosh, I hope I'm healthy in five years. I hope I'm healthy in five months. Uh, but here, here we are with the Supreme Court battle looming, seeing how the veil has been lifted from all this stuff. They talk about openly on TV, liberal versus conservative justices. That's not the way this is supposed to happen. That's not how all this is supposed to work. I'm not supposed to have liberal and conservative justice. We're just supposed to have judges who interpret the law based on what the law says. The notion that it, this is like draft picks for two different teams, team liberal and team conservative, just shows you how politicized the court has become. And it's, at this point, I think, irretrievably politicized unless you get uh, just all constitutionalists who would fall under the rubric of conservatism as far as the left is concerned on the court. It's just going to keep being this game of, well, how do we get enough leftists who are committed ideologues who will interpret the law in accordance with their policy preferences? How do we get enough of them that we can get what we want? That's the way the liberals have been playing the game for decades. And they have created this pop culture hero of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the notorious RBG and all this stuff. It's just, it's weird. It's cultish. It's kind of pathetic. Uh, You know, there's there's nothing. I mean, most people, most people that are walking around turning about the notorious RBG don't even I, I honestly believe they don't even know what she sounds like. You know, they, they can't even think of what the last time they heard her speak. And, you know, look, I, I she's a frail, old, frail, older woman. I, I don't know. It, the whole thing strikes me as very, very strange. And their obsession on her health and everything, it's just creepy. It's just creepy. Um, but it shows you how desperate they are. It really does. That's that's a a part of this whole discussion right now that you can't avoid. You know, Ginsburg, wasn't she like chief counsel for the ACLU? I, you couldn't find somebody who is a more committed liberal than Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And she got confirmed. You know, they, they put her through on the court. Uh, it's just so much nonsense these days. It really is. Uh, it's it's getting crazy out there, folks. All right, uh, 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK if you want to chat before we close up shop tonight in the Freedom Hut. Also, don't forget Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. That's where you send me messages. We will be right back. Let comedians do their job because let me explain something to you. You're not letting comedians do their job and you're miserable. <laughs> You're miserable because laughter is a release, just like watching acting, just like listening to music, just like looking at art. Laughter is a release that you are now cutting off. Stop walking around so offended. You're not going to be able to survive life if you walk around offended. Now, while I don't find Leslie Jones even a little bit funny as a comedian, I have to say I agree with her insight here in that people need to stop acting like there's some terrible 
uh, there, there's some terrible act that's been committed every time somebody makes a joke about anything. The left really is in the process of killing comedy entirely. Nothing is allowed to be funny anymore. For a while, they figured that just making fun of white people, white Christians, and white racism was going to just sustain comedy and, and Trump and, and Trump supporters. But now I think there's a fatigue. Those jokes, even if you think that those are the only things you should be making jokes about, which is idiotic, but a lot of leftists think that way, those jokes are now stale. Those jokes are no longer amusing even to the people who really just want to be snide and mock others because they've heard them so many times. And this is one of, the, this, this is one of these moments where you look at what's happened in recent weeks with Ocasio-Cortez, for example, on that satirical interview clip where they had uh, Ali Beth Stuckey from CRTV and, and doing the sit-down with, uh, with Ocasio-Cortez, and it was clearly meant to be a joke, and it was cut. And, and you had many people on the left who think that they're hip and think that they're really with it, freaking out about it, uh, you know, becoming agitated, becoming angry over what, what had transpired. And I just think... It is completely and utterly, uh, well, it's nuts for one thing, but but also when you look a little deeper into it, we're, we're losing something as a culture. Man, I, I come on this radio show and there's so many times and I feel badly because I feel like I'm depriving not just you, but myself of the release of just letting it rip and making some jokes. There's so many times when I think that would be funny, but I just err on the side of, all right, don't. Don't push it too much because, you know, I don't need the uh, the disgusting smear merchants of Media Matters and, and others, you know, coming after me. I, I, I just don't need it. You know, I, I don't find it. I don't think it's a trade off that I want to make. So, you know, I, I just look at all this stuff now and, and I wish it were different. And so with that in mind, that we all need a little bit of comedy, I wanted to share something with you that. I think is is the the funniest thing that I've heard in quite a while. Just without further ado, please play clip 21. I'm not that damn smart. You know how easy this is? <laughs> Jesus. But no one wants to do it. No one has the instinct or the will to execute anything real. They only execute failure. Failure! <laughs> Can you just play the beginning of that again? It's my favorite. I'm not that damn smart. You know how no. easy this is? All right, all right, all right. Oh man, he's amazing. You couldn't uh you couldn't construe a character that was more rich in unintentional uh unintentional satire than uh than Mr. Mr. Jones over there. It is it is incredible. Uh I, I like his whole do, do we have his ever a while ago just like, I like to eat meat. I like to make children. You know, it's like, whoa, settle down there, buddy. You know, I I used to think that he was a lot older than me uh, just because I think he looks quite a bit older than me. He's not that much. He's maybe, I think he's in his, like, early 40s. So we're we're not contemporaries, but we're pretty close to being contemporaries. Uh, and, and he is, he's a wild man. So I just thought that was something. I wanted to brighten your day a little bit because there's not enough comedy going around there and we're not allowed to make enough jokes. I'm also thinking that it would be fun if I could set up a podcast or something where we just we just called it the unsafe space and we people could just basically say anything and and the idea would be that you're you're not allowed to get in trouble for it like there's some you could indemnify yourself there's some way that you could sign well like I'm not 
I'm not saying that this is okay or politically correct. I'm just saying that this is a thing that, but there is no such thing. You know, you cannot create an unsafe space right now without the risk of tremendous media backlash and, and people coming after you with all kinds of stuff. So it's a shame, but at least we got Alex Jones to keep us entertained. Facebook's apparently banned him, which, or banned him temporarily or something, which I suppose they have the right to do, but it is a little bit, it is a little bit troubling that they are taking that approach to things. Uh, but at least he, he does, he does come up sometimes with, with comedy gold, Milberg's your Illuminati and, you know, queen of England and all that stuff. It's, I give the guy, for for a lunatic, he's very entertaining. We have Roll Call coming up here in just a moment, team, so stay with me. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for Roll Call. Oh, it's so jazzy. So some of that license-free music that you get is uh it's got some gro- got some groovy tunes to it. Got some groovy tunes to it. By the way, if, if any of you have suggestions for uh, uh a place I can find a really good workout music uh list, what do you call that? Playlist, a music list. Gosh. I'm 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 listening to the same and, and by the way, don't give me Welcome to the Jungle and ACD. I already have all that. I've already got all the basics covered. I need something that's probably from the last 10 years, you know, because I know all the classics, okay? I, the Tiger, has been on my playlist since I've had a playlist. I'm looking for new stuff that will get me kind of fired up. So no classic rock because I already have all the classic rock. If you got any ideas, at me on Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Let's get to it, I have not been working out enough these days. Man, I'm turning into a pasty, a pasty pile of goo. Uh, TJ writes, Buck, I have to say you're a better man than me. Not true, TJ. Plus, you wear shields high in your photo on Facebook, which makes me just heart you tremendously. The fact that you're able to keep a straight face, not to mention keep from bursting into laughter, following that Nancy Pelosi interview on Rising this morning, that took some serious reserve. Also... You really think Nancy can remember something and count? I hate to be degrading, but honestly, she doesn't look good in that interview. I seriously question her competency to hold any public office, not to mention speaker. Just saying, from TJ. Uh, TJ, Nancy wants to tell you to go and shove it. That's, that's, the, that's what Nancy has to say. She gets feisty, man. You don't mess with Nancy. Dennis, next up here. Thank you for the interview with Beth Lindstrom. Can you interview Tracy Lavron? She's running against Jim McGovern, one of the others that needs to go. Personally, I'm a mod- I'm probably a moderate Democrat, but I do like seeing you on Fox. Well, Dennis, thank you. You know, look, I, I try to be reasonable, uh, even affable in the way that I make my case for what I believe. Um, so uh, I, I do really appreciate it when Democrats listen. I like when independents listen. And, and you know, I, I have had. Back in the day when I used to do CNN, when it was still a network that tried to have both sides of the story, uh, I had people come to me and say, you know, I'm a Democrat, but I really like, I like the way you present your case on TV. I always thought that was, you know, that was very generous of them to say. And, you know, that was in the pre-Trump era, though. I think right now it be a little bit different. All right, next up here, Rachel writes, how's it going, Buck? I was listening to you talking about the name change in Austin, Texas. 
and I couldn't help but think about Germany. They haven't done this sort of thing, have they? Only in leftist America. Keep up the great work, Rachel. Uh, well, Rachel, if you mean renaming stuff, yeah, I mean, I think Deutschland was Deutschland before, during, and after Hitler's rise. So, I mean, I, I don't think that they've changed names, although I, I doubt that after the Second World War. I mean, look, here, I, I don't think they named anything after Hitler, I guess, is maybe one of the main one of the main distinctions that you'd have to point to here. I don't think that there was any... Uh, there was no fondness for what had happened with the Third Reich in, um, amongst the Germans, especially considering they lost that war. Uh, so I don't think that there was anyone naming naming anything after after Hitler. Uh, but I don't I don't really know, Rachel. That's an interesting question. I mean, you think about the Soviet Union. There's still plenty of stuff about Lenin and you know pl- plenty of uh, vestiges of their Soviet past in Russia today. So interesting. Jar writes, I have to counter the Taekwondo comment and its applicability in self-defense. I used to train in Krav Maga under a man who is one of the top 20 people when it comes to ascension in the largest Taekwondo association worldwide. He will be the first one to tell you that Taekwondo has very little application in self-defense. You know, Jar, I don't want to get in the middle of this one. I don't want to catch an axe kick to my temple, but I will just say that you know, I've I've seen a lot of Taekwondo, and I've very rarely seen Taekwondo work. That said, just being able to throw a, a solid punch and having those basic mechanics of self-defense, I, I think that's certainly worthwhile. Uh, but, you know, what, what every I've never seen a fight. I, I'll say this, and I've seen my fair share of fights, actually. Believe it or not, I don't say you're like, Buck, really? Yeah. I used to run with kind of a... Kind of a fast crowd back in the day. I saw a lot. I was really in high school. I saw a lot of fights in high school. Um, not so many in college. Uh, and, and then as an adult, fighting. Oh, gosh, no. None of that. Uh, not savages. But I, I, I've never really seen a fight that had two people stand and trade strikes for more than a few seconds. It always would turn into grappling, tackling, and, and sort of wrestling and punching. I, I've rarely seen... It ever turn into just trading standing strikes so you know with taekwondo i know there's some grap anyway people are like Buck, stop talking about martial arts i i really want to have you know what i'll bring on someday somebody who's a, a martial arts expert we can talk about the applicability of some of the different styles here and we talk about wushu style and praying mantis style and you have must you must learn to fight the wushu i mean stuff like that that'd be fun i know wushu is yeah no that's chinese i'm trying to remember now Praying Mantis. I used to play a lot of these martial arts video games, too. Ah, oh, misspent youth. Um, here we go. M- Mud is the name of this person. Hi, Mud. My name is Buck, so I can't... I don't cast aspersions. Buck, love your show, love your vocals, and love that you found Miss Molly. We have a lot in common and maybe even a kindred spirit. I'm a disabled Marine Corps combat veteran. Ooh, mouthful, huh? I was an intelligence analyst for years. I loved it. I also had aspirations of stepping up to the bigs. I'm Catholic and filled with guilt and blatant honesty, like brutal yet thinly masked with humor. Uh, Not Irish. Worse, I'm Scottish. They both speak gibberish. I love history. Nowhere near your level, sorrowfully. A remodeled impressionist. After I broke my neck, lost my voice for a year, and I'm still learning to generate inflections. A trivia aficionado, including movie quotes, though I bet I could rival even uh, you. Ever try The Bacon Game? Uh... Both dig the dew 
I'm friggin' bald. And then follically challenged in 2013. What's in the box? Oh, that's from Seven. All quotes are my own. Cheers, uh, Matt. Uh, oh, Matt. I don't know why it said mud there, but Matt. Uh, hey, Matt. First of all, thank you for your service, man, and thank you for your your note, your your humanity, your sense of humor, and your kind words about what I'm doing here. It does sound like we're kindred spirits, and it. Uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate you listening to the show. Shield ties coming back, as I said, this month. We're going to do the Siege of Malta. I think I'm going to break it up into two parts, and you know I'm going to do it. And you know maybe a lot of people will listen. Maybe we'll have, like, uh, a football stadium or two worth of people listening again this time. Or maybe it'll just be, you know, friends and family. But I just think it's a fun thing to put out there. I like to do it. And especially as the news cycle slows down, I think it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, Thank you very much, though, uh, Matt, for your kind note. Brian wrote uh, the following. Buck, just watched yesterday's Rising. And I love that you got in that jab on Austin, Washington, D.C. and erasing history to the left. Just saying Yale, named for a slave trader and president of the East India Trade Company, Mike Drop. Do you have the demographics back on political leanings of the viewers of Rising? Is it split even as you're trying to target? You know, Brian, that's a really good question. We don't have demo info yet on the show. Uh, we probably will in the fall. Um, when I, and we just, I know that the two biggest audiences are in New York and California, so I don't know what that means. It could be, you know, there could be some rogue conservatives in those two states that are listening or or perhaps we're getting a lot of democrats that are watching i I don't know uh it's it's all very new and very experimental but i'm having fun with it and i do appreciate that some of you take the time to watch it's nice to have some members of the team in support hill.tv slash rising if you want to check it out we have some fun segments definitely check out some of the, the panel segments i think those are and then the at the toward the end of the show we do something called Before You Go, where we just run down some stories. I think those are the most fun parts of the show. And so those of you who haven't been exposed to it before, I think that's probably where I would uh, I would start. Unless, or, or a big interview. We get big. We got Senator Ron Johnson on tomorrow. That'll be really interesting. Uh, Dan writes, Buck, love your show. Missed several episodes. Tuning in online, though. Uh, maybe have a comment soon. Interactive listeners. That's what you like, right? Dan. Well, Dan, obviously, I'm reading a comment from an interactive listener right now. So there you go. Um, and then what do we have here? Uh, almost. This is for Michael. Almost forgot. I have to laugh every time you come with the lame reasons why you don't like having guests on too often. Admit it, bub. The only reason is you like to hear yourself blab for two for three hours. Michael, guilty as charged, bro. Guilty as charged. I, I am uh, I am greedy with this audience. I do not like to share this audience unless I have a really good reason uh, because I have so much that I want to tell you. I, I get to read in all day. By the time I come on this radio show, I've just been thinking all day about things that I can talk to you about and make this as worthwhile, interesting, and insightful as I possibly can. Um, but thanks, Michael, for the always salty interactions. I appreciate it. You know, it's... Once in a while, like, like before Christmas and my birthday, Michael's like, you've done an okay job this year. I'm like, thank you, Michael. So sweet of you. Sue, next up here. Uh, Real-life experience of paying for medical insurance through husband's employer and seeing the benefits customers of my retail liquor store receive free. Oh, the benefits customers of my retail liquor store receive free while I suffer and pay, but they get treated like royalty. You know, Sue, you know, you bring this up, and, and this is something that happens where people see that they're very much struggling to be self-sufficient with their health insurance and pay their bills. 
And then other people, there's a tremendous effort to find some way to get somebody else, meaning the government, to pay for them. Um, so, you know, that's that's a thing that happens. It, it is. People don't really like to talk about it, but I think it is, uh, it's commonplace. So, anyway, uh, thank you for your thoughts, team. Great to have you with me here in the hut. Uh, we're going to have Raheem Kassam on the uh, Freedom Hut podcast this week, so that is exciting. Uh, get ready for that one. Please uh, do check out some of our wonderful sponsors here in the Freedom Hunt. I will see you tomorrow. Chilta. My alarm goes off at 5 o'clock in the morning every morning. And I usually finish up at around 9.30 at night after radio, folks. It's a long day. How do I power through it? Strike Force Energy. Strike Force is veteran-owned and American-made, and it's one of the hottest energy products on the market today. You see, Strike Force liquid comes in a packet. You just pour a little bit, a little bit of it in water, tea, lemonade, yogurt, and it gives you that extra push through your day. It's available in four flavors: zero sugar, zero calories. And right now, if you go to StrikeForceEnergy.com and enter discount code Buck at checkout. For every packet you buy, folks, Strike Force will donate a packet to military members around the globe. That's right. They'll send this to them downrange. Strike Force Energy is fuel for the fight. So go to StrikeForceEnergy.com, enter discount code BUCK, and send it to our troops overseas.